This episode is brought to you by America's Rehab Campus. Get on the road to recovery with the best rehab in beautiful Arizona. Dial 1-833-272-7342. That's 1-833-ARC-REHAB. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now tuned in to the Good afternoon again, world. Ladies and gentlemen, all of our listeners, friends around the world, this is the Rcast. My name is Buddha. I'm Vance. And I'm Michaela. And thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. It has been an amazing day, you know, here on campus, grinding it out. We've done a few episodes today, and I feel like the stories are getting more interesting. They're becoming just, it's it's awesome. It's awesome to be a part of this. So today, right now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to give a big warm round of applause to our friend, peer support, jail liaison, our man, homeboy, Martin. What's up, Martin? <laughs> How you doing, brother? Good, good. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, man. Thank you for coming, homie. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, man. Yeah, man. So, uh, how did you and uh, how did you and Tones meet? Um, Tony and I met a few years ago. He was doing some outreach down there in Ogales, and we okay. kind of connected. And I think we became more of collaborative. We became friends. You know what I mean? He's he's pretty good people. He wants to help. Oh, yeah. And I was referring a lot of people here to the ARC too, so we kind of Heck started yeah. working, and then we just connected. Hey, thank you for that, man. That's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's cool. And have you always worked in this line of work? No, not always. <laughs> not always. Nah. No, nah, but I've been I've been working in in this for what six years, almost seven years. Six now. years. That's wow. cool. Are you in uh, Are you in recovery yourself? I'm in recovery myself. Yeah, in, in August August 13. It was seven years. Oh wow! Congratulations! Congratulations! You one more round of applause. Right. Yeah, that yeah. one needs an applause. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> nah, you get two of them, bro. <laughs> All right, so you're in recovery too. That's and and um, I know you said that you you are in peer support, right? Yeah. And you also work at the jails. We just had a, a young lady in here that had worked with corrections for a long time, and she was talking about you know the things that she had experienced working there and stuff. Do you find a lot of satisfaction in doing the type of work that you do? To be honest, it's new, man. This is new for Nogales. So I've been only doing it since March. Uh huh. So it's kind of mixed emotions. It, it, it it's fairly new. We're trying to. Re- to invent this position there in Ogawa. So we're yeah. kind of way behind than other communities, but we're trying to catch up and experiment new things. So the judge invited me to be part of, he got a grant, like a grant for, um, to develop a drug court. And then they opened this position for jail liaison. And we were just trying to explore what a jail liaison was. I had an idea already what a jail liaison was. So I'm not like full time inside of the jail. So I'm trying to assess people, divert people into treatment. But uh, I told you I'm in recovery. I spent a lot of times inside my jails myself. I've been incarcerated many times, been to prison. Okay. So it's it's a weird it's a weird feel. Yeah, I bet <laughs> like yeah. the scent, the smell, seeing the cloth and the scent of the iron, the the yeah. concrete. The, it's just got a unique scent to it. They still trigger. So I got a little office there, but. I don't spend a lot of time in there. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, man. <laughs> so I'll see people there and assess them and see what are you, what is it that I could do to to advocate for them and help them. Okay. And then from there, like, I'll be in the courts, at the probation, out in the community, or transporting people and stuff like that. So 
Wow. Pretty cool, but I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I like it. Yeah. You know, but I actually just got off the uh, call with my son, actually, who's getting ready to get out of jail tomorrow. So, Oh, wow. I'm sorry, out of prison tomorrow. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so I really appreciate your your space that you're yeah. in, man. Yeah, so I, so I try to give him that, that pure model, you know, tell him that I... So it's something new, I guess, that they gave me this opportunity. There's not a lot of people at work in the county or, or inside of the jails that, yeah. that have a, a background, you know, or have a... So, we're able to relate in a different level, you know? Absolutely. But what I try to do is be that, I guess, that person that I once needed. Because when I was in jail, I was vulnerable. You know, I, I knew I would. I had written a letter to my mom and be like, hey, mom, I'm sorry. Once I get out, I'm going to change, you know, yeah. to my wife. And I really meant it. But once I got out, I kind of forgot that. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. I needed that someone to kind of carry me and take me from point A to point B. And that's what I try to be, you know. But even though we're adults, we need someone to carry us and be like, hey, yeah. from here we got a plan. You're going to go here. And from there we're going to do that. And, for example, just getting an ID, getting you into um, treatment or yeah. stuff like that. Even though people are in jail for a few months, doesn't mean they're really in recovery, you know, because you're not really talking about recovery language in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just war stories and politics and all that other language that you Got to survive. And that comes with the package inside of jail. So. Wow. I'm looking forward to listening to you because my son's actually been in jail in prison about six or seven times. So oh, yeah? I'm getting out tomorrow. Maybe you can give me some education so I can just yeah. really continue to encourage him. Yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to go back to being the person that he used to be. And like you said, you wrote a letter. That's the very thing he told me that he wrote to his family members that he was not going to be that person anymore in the letter. Yeah. And his sister's going to pick him up at jail tomorrow. Yeah. So I look forward to listening to your interview today. Yeah, man, absolutely. Let's if if you wouldn't mind, let's go back to the beginning, brother. So are are you from Arizona? I, I'm born and raised in Nogales, Arizona. Yeah, it's a small border town. Yeah, yeah. And so you went to all of your academics, elementary school, middle school, everything in Nogales. Yeah, elementary, middle school, and a little bit of high school. Dropped out in ninth grade. And how do you feel living so close to the border? affected the way that you grew up because i can only imagine bro being so close to mexico yeah. and all of the things that come over and the lifestyle is from tucson to nogales is a completely different it's a completely different culture you're right yeah, yeah. so I, I love my hometown i got a big heart for my hometown but there was a time where i was trying to escape nogales thinking blaming the place you know yeah. because how you say the border and everything but learned that i was just trying to escape myself it's it wasn't really the place so mm-hmm. yeah being um in nogales while well, drugs are a lot cheaper maybe than here in tucson mm-hmm. and if you cross across the border which is very easy um especially back when um, when i was young you bring me back some memories right now <laughs> <laughs> so it was way cheaper you know what i mean five dollars of for example of a 20 dollar bag that you could get here you could get it for five dollars over there Jeez. so things like that that it was easy to access. There's a lot of opportunity for illegal activity to make what we call easy money. Yeah. Which is not really easy. But And did you have a lot of family, like on your mom and your dad? Did you Were you raised with both of your parents? I was raised with more, both of my parents. Yeah, I come good family, good parents, hardworking parents. Yeah, and as you know, I mean, sometimes it's not just the drugs that are addictive, the lifestyle itself, especially living so close to the border. Do you feel like, um, were your parents addicts? Did they they kind of go through the same struggles you went through? No, they they weren't addicts. They were hardworking people. They tried to do the best that they could to raise me, you know. Yeah. Um, My dad's always been working for a 
over 20 years, both full-time jobs. Okay. My mom, a bus driver for the school district. My dad works at the school district, too. So Wow. Okay. I had a quick question. So not growing up around addiction, how, how were you introduced to it? I, I guess since I was very little, my way of thinking was always off. That's what I come to discover. So um, drugs were, were very accessible. A lot of people that I was hanging around, there were, gang, there were gangs at that time there. And a lot of people I was hanging out with, they were drinking, smoking marijuana. So I remember in fifth grade, the transition from elementary into high school. So they were drinking and smoking marijuana. So I figured. I, so it was the community. Yeah, the community. So mom and dad weren't telling you to stop hanging around those people because no. mom and dads were supposed to tell our sons and daughters, exactly. quit hanging around those people because yeah. otherwise you're going to be like them. Yeah. No, my parents never blamed nobody. They would never. Those were some things that they wouldn't like. No, don't hang out with those people. It just. Kind of yeah. let me be. And sometimes when we're young, just like when I was young, even though I didn't do drugs or alcohol when I was a kid, I hung around those people who did those things, and I just wouldn't tell mom and dad what I was hanging around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so on the fifth grade um, dance that we had, I, I got high for the first time, got drunk, and then it seemed like from there all summer, smoking weed every day, and, and I'll drink a little bit here and there, but. Weed was the, the did your uh, did your parents notice a change in you at this time or were you good at hiding it? No, they noticed right away. Yeah. Really? Yeah. When they told you to stop, what'd you say? Oh, that I was gonna stop and I would hide from it and then I would get caught again, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yep. But then it just it just spiraled right away. I think when I was thirteen, I was already doing like it's called Rochas over there here, probably like Mexican Xanax, you know, mm-hmm. um, doing cocaine. The tiras. Yeah, the tiras. Yeah, yeah, that was a thing going on. So I had that bowl a little bit with methamphetamine. So it, it kind of went downhill quick. You know, I was try- like, I lost fear of drugs and I just wanted to try everything that was, yeah. that I was being exposed, thinking that I could control it. So my way of thinking was that I'm just going to try it, but I won't let the drugs control me. I'm going to control the drugs. But yeah. I wanted to. There was some interest in me wanting to try everything, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so that's how it kind of went. By the age of 13, I think I was already kind of struggling. And at the age of 15, um, they sent me to a boot camp for troubled teens because I was already getting into trouble. Wow. I had gotten kicked out of school. And so. Did you, do you have any siblings? Did you grow up with other brothers? I got, I got one, one sibling, my sister. Older or younger? Younger. Younger. Younger, yeah. Okay. So you really were just left to your own devices. Yeah. Mom and dad working all the time. All, all the time, working all the time. and Drinking on the weekends was normal. Yeah. They kind of knew, like, uh, they knew I, I was doing something, you know, that I was always on something. And they'll try to talk to me and they'll try to be my friends and stuff like that. But they'll try to support me, go with me to meetings, groups, try to get help, resources, and my few first arrests, they will go with me to court, try to get me an attorney and all that stuff. Man. How, how old were you when you had your first arrest? 18. What were what were you arrested for? Do you remember? My first arrest was um, DUI. It was actually my 18th birthday. <laughs> you, heard, yeah. you saw that behind the windshield? I saw or what? behind that, yeah. <laughs> I had just crossed back from Mexico to um, celebrate my 18th birthday. So over there at 18, you're considered an adult. You could go drink. So yeah. we went. Drinking and came back DUI. Dang, yeah. that's crazy. And then after that, it just—I don't know—I kept getting into trouble. Been arrested nineteen times. Nineteen wow. times. Yeah, nineteen times. It's my lucky number, right there. 19. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, real the, quick, no wonder why God said back in the Old Testament they're supposed to give kids spankings when they're being bad. 
Yeah. I'm old school, dad, bro. I, I needed a spanking, man. <laughs> yeah. well, were your parents like that? Did they ever, you know, on the Nalegas when you acted up, bro? Nah. No, they never did. And I got a spanking daily when I grew up. Did you? Yeah. So, so maybe that's the reason why I didn't use until I was in my 20s. Maybe, maybe, man. I that's... believe that whoever's going to be a rebel is just going to come out mm-hmm. rebel because I've seen people getting spankings or parents being strict and they still come out. Yeah. Yeah. I also, totally agree with you yeah. because my parents were very lenient with me and and I think because they instilled a trust in me I there was not that excitement of getting caught because my parents their rule was if I wanted to try alcohol I needed to try it in our home Mm -hmm. so then I never wanted to try it because it's not cool to drink with your mom and dad (laughs) (laughs) when you're 16 you know you're like but I just had no interest in it so and I'm not and I didn't grow up And, you know, I don't struggle with addiction and didn't get dabble into those things. But something you said, like, really hit me when you said you did not have a fear of drugs. I had the fear in me. Like, and it wasn't from my parents. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it came from, but I just knew that if somebody was going to die and a group of friends from an overdose, it would be me. And I just never tried anything. I still to this day have never even smoked marijuana. Like, I am... So far on the other side, <laughs> but I have—I mean, still to this day, I have the fear in me. I'm like, I'm allergic to everything. I'm probably allergic to the marijuana leaf, and then I'll be an epileptic. <laughs> that one percent, yeah, <laughs> die from that 1%. <laughs> So, and you know, it's it's interesting. Like uh, we had talked about this before. I had a really close friend whose mother was like that. She, you know, she used to let him do smoke weed in the house as long as he's safe, mm. type of thing. But then, you know. All of a sudden, I got real interested in wanting to spend the night at his house all the time. Yeah. Who would have thought, right? Mm. They have weed over there all the I, time. I love my parents. I, I don't blame them for, for nothing, you know. But, yeah. but uh, yeah, a little bit more control. I think that parents shouldn't be friends, you know. You need to show there's consequences, you know, right? And mm-hmm. things are not Health allowed boundaries. in my house. Like, uh-huh. you can't mm-hmm. do that in my house. So that's those are the things that through my lived experience, or I don't know if I'm doing right or wrong, or if my kids are going to come rebel, but I, I try not to do those things. So I tell them, there's rules in this house you got to follow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, you, you can't, vaping is bad, marijuana is bad, all these things, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm very open with my kids, with, um, they know. You know what you just now proved? You just now proved that everything you had to go through, and I can't wait to hear your story, was all for a purpose, because now you're a good dad. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if I'm a good dad, but I try. <laughs> I'm sure you are, I'm different than what, I, what I used to be. dads that our good dads say that though like mm-hmm. that because it's the effort i think an effort makes you a good dad even if you're going to mess up i mean every parent i mean my parents have messed up too but i know that my parents are good parents because they try every day yeah. to make sure that they're good yeah yeah well i've made a lot of bad decisions having been there for for a lot of years of my children's life but for the past 7 years i'm trying to make that amends you know and Heck yeah. try to mm-hmm. turn things around but that's been the hardest part in my recovery. And I think that's where I was going at, to, today, not necessarily when you uh, got Yeah, yeah, today, today. Yeah. Well, I try, I try. Yeah. So let's go back to, you know, you're getting arrested, you're causing all these travesuras going back. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you ever try, did you move weight back and forth too? Or you, did you ever try selling, things like that? That, that was part of, of my addiction too, you know, thinking, I'm like, what? I'll get a job and then um, get paid $500, you know, for... A good job maybe in construction and a week and yeah. in the sun. I was like, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Using the phone or in my house. So that's something that I struggled a lot too, you know, and being in a border town and 
having ties um, to Mexico. So, yeah. And, and I try when I share my story, when it comes to this, I don't glorify nothing of that. Yeah. Because I did have money. I did have cars. And I think at one time I had power jewelry and all that. But at the end of my addiction, I, w- I went to a treatment center with a bag of my wallet and nothing in there. I had lost wow. my family, no cars, no nothing, you know. So I, w- I, I spent my first few days. So from having, I went to not having nothing, but I felt peaceful, you know. So yeah. even though I, I, at, at the time when I thought it was fun and I was making money and, and all that stuff, a lot of things happened that, that, that I don't glorify that. You know, if someone has to go live that experience and do it, like, I'm nobody to judge. But when I try to share my story, I don't glorify on, on that. Um, so I just want to kind of throw that. Yeah, no. I think that's a really cool perspective, though, for somebody. Because mm. I think that sometimes, especially me, like, outside looking in, like, you see people, like, in college and high school that were, you know, labeled the drug dealers that did have a lot of stuff, and you're like, oh, that's so cool. But then you mentioned that when you went and you had nothing going into rehab, you finally felt peace. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's just this a totally cool perspective because you're probably not thinking in the back of your head either, oh, I could get arrested tomorrow. Like, yeah. you, that weight is off of you. And I was getting prepared because I knew I could get arrested, but I was getting putting money away for the attorney or putting money away that they <laughs> oh, wouldn't man. catch my money. And I was kind of thinking, wearing white boxers in case I got arrested, I could... Take my white boxes to the jail. Nothing. Gee, <laughs> you were preparing, man. I was preparing. So, just a stupid way of thinking, man. It just comes with the lifestyle, I guess, of using it. And I had fun. Yeah, I had fun. Like, um, how old are you right now? I'm 38. You're 30 years young. And yeah, the years young. Absolutely. And how? When did you finally decide? Like, enough was enough. Was there a situation, something that happened that changed your life? Yeah, I, I was 31. So how I was telling you, know, there was times where where I was using it was fun. Um, I was enjoying it, making money, and it just kept getting worse and worse. You know, stop working. I just got full time into my my lifestyle and my addiction, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And so from I started using harder drugs, and 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 then it just got bad. So I started having like uh, psychotic episodes, something that I've never experienced before. Really, and it just started getting bad. And then I started doing like heroin, methamphetamines, and stuff like that. So I couldn't do the other things that I was doing. So I I just went full blown so addiction, when, you know. And and yeah. were you a father at this time? I was a father at this time, married too. Wow. You know, when you say the the like psychosis, did it come? Was it drug induced psychosis? Yeah, drug drug induced psychosis. Weeks without sleeping, you know, and and and. And for anyone out there who's never experienced addiction, can you explain what that is? Like, what did you experience? So for me, when I when I share psychosis, is I was seeing things that weren't there. You know, at first I was like kind of driving, and the lines were kind of passing by, or the trees, or I would see shadows and stuff like that. But then later it was like more other things, like. My, supposedly like monsters or things coming out through the water or paranoia someone's out there to kill me and someone so i was always scared um and wow. then also scaring my family at the same time and um yeah so the the main two drugs that kind of got a hold of me i think it was uh, meth and heroin wow and, and those are the ones that i knew because the other ones i could leave i could say like oh i i smoke crack for I'm done with it. I'm going to leave, put this aside for a while, just drink, smoke weed, and take pills. But I always kind of wanted some kind of chemical that altered my mood, you know, something that I, I couldn't be sober, just sober. I always had to be on something. Yeah. But those ones I couldn't 
put aside, you know, and it took a few years that just got a grab of me and took me to a whole different world, man, where I was. That's crazy. I just felt embarrassed. I lost. I was just like gone. I was weighing 120 pounds. Um, I couldn't function as a man. I couldn't do like daily things. I couldn't. It, it just took me to a whole different world where I felt depressed. So death sounded as like at peace, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, I attempted a few times, one time in the freeway, kind of pressed the metal to press the gas and try to flip the car. I did flip, trying to end my life in one of those and had a few overdose. So yeah, it was just bad, man. The overdose, I think I was um, trying to do it on purpose because sometimes I knew that my body couldn't take the drugs that I was trying to do, that I was trying to take in. So yeah, it was just bad, man. Depressing, wasn't fun no more. And trying to get out of it, going to detox, trying to get a speedy recovery, thinking in seven days I'll get clean and mm-hmm. I'll be fine. And so it, it it was it was just bad, you know. Then my family didn't want nothing to do with me. My wife wanted nothing to do with me. They were afraid of me. My parents, so all that family support kind of stepped back, you know, and started getting bad. So yeah, on August 9th of two thousand and fifteen. Um, I had an overdose. I don't remember much, but I remember waking up on four days later at um, at the hospital here at no uh, St. Mary's. St. Mary's, yeah, St. Mary's. So I remember waking up and I I was tied up to a bed with tubes all over my body and machines, wow. and they told me that they had found me dead, that they had to fly me to Tucson, and that I'd been in a coma for a few days. So what they told me is was. Just that I was a miracle, you know. But remember waking up from that coma, I knew I was done. Like, I knew it was going to be different. I knew, like, I felt this peace that I never felt before. Um, I felt good. Uh, I I just knew I was done. I was like, this is it. You know, I just, I'm done. I'm done. And what about about faith in your life? Were you raised with the relationship with God? Did you guys go to church and stuff? When there was like um, a marriage or quinceanera or something like that, you know? Yeah. Being um, raised up with with Catholic kind of upbringings, but not really like going to church or kind of thinking. That's the same culture things that we got to do as Catholic community. Yeah. So yeah, um, was talked about it my by my manana and stuff like that, you know. But yeah, I think now that I'm I'm good with my faith, you know, I think that something spiritual happened on that day of the coma. I That's just great. felt that I was touched and yeah, and I felt good and I knew I was done. I still had to go through the detox process, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that okay like at peace. Now I had to go to hell like for forty five oh, yeah. days, man. It was bad, bad like it was. I got seizures, kidney stones. Man, I had to use a walker for the first few days. 120 yeah. pounds. It was just, and by myself, I miss mama. I wanted yeah. wifey and my kids there, you know. That's but I had crazy. burned that bridge already. So, yeah. And I think that's what's amazing about God's grace is like you know you're not you're not necessarily. God's not going to pull you out of the hell that you put yourself through because you got yourself to where you're at, but he's yeah. going to give you that grace to get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? It, did you have to kick it like on a concrete floor in a jail or were you at least in the hospital? No, I was in the hospital. Okay. Yeah, but I was refusing um, medication. So I've been on mad. I've been on Suboxone, Methadone. And oh, man. So I just knew like the physical part, once it's over, I thought I will, I'll be good. You know, I thought like once... It comes out of my body, and I thinking because doctor says it takes seven days, you know. 
But here I am 30 days later. And still, <laughs> still shaking. My, my my skin is like a chicken still, you know. Dude. Couldn't swallow much. And I had to take like IVs too. So so it was bad, man. I had, but I, I wrote it out. I didn't want no medication. That was just, I, I don't recommend it to the people yeah. that kind of, that was just my story. You know, I just wanted to do it cold turkey. I definitely tip my hat yeah. to you, bro. Mm-hmm. That that takes that takes levels, bro. <laughs> that's what it, that's a hard road to go down like yeah. that. You know, my my Theo Ray that works here with us, he did the same thing. Just cut it. Just cut it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's that's how and I I wanted to do it because I didn't want to depend on no more chemical and I just felt like got to get through this part and I'll be okay. Wow. How old were your kids at this time? 7 and 5. 7 and 5. Yeah, 7 and 5 and um when I saw them for the first time, that kind of touched me too because, like, I knew they were my kids and they saw me. They knew I was their dad, but I like there was no relationship there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't know what they really like, what color, what what's up with them, like nothing, like like. So yeah, I'm more like. A, so you're getting to kind of meet them for the first getting time. Getting to meet them for the first time. Wow, and I had to go to rehab too because I got I had nowhere to go. So when this happened, when the when I was in the coma, I was out on parole. I had an ankle monitor. I was in the run from my parole. So I remember calling my parole officer and telling him that I wanted to turn myself in because um, if not, I was going to die, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, when she went and saw me, she's uh, like that they wouldn't take me in because of my of my physical condition of how I, I was. So she took the ankle monitor off and told me, like, go seek help, you know. So I went to a treatment center at the Salvation Army. Here on Sixth Avenue. Yeah, I've been at that place three times before, so I went there and, and I stayed there for that program for six months. It was, I think it was just meant for it to be like that because my my faith kind of grew there too and That's got involved amazing. in the twelve step community too. That's why I told you I got to that rehab with that back when I got off from the hospital. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all I had there. Wow. And did uh, changing your lifestyle, getting away. From what your normal was, living that fast life, I'm guessing the friends that you thought you had were nowhere to be found. Yeah. The support system you thought you had was nowhere to be found. They were found. all gone. They were all gone. How How is it now with, you know, with your family, the relationship with your parents, your kids? Uh, do they know about your struggles, your kids? Yeah, they, I'm, I'm very open with my recovery and they all know my struggles, my family, my mom, my dad, my kids, my my wife, actually, me and my wife I weren't together, but now we're together. We had man, another bro. son. He's he's four years old. Too. Congratulations, wow. man! That's amazing. His name is Emmanuel too. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So so they would go visit me at the rehab, and things just coming started coming into place. Yeah. Started hearing about peer support. Um, started working with peer support people like me, mm-hmm. and and they would share their story, and I was like. I wanted what they have, you know, and I could relate to them in a level that I couldn't relate to a therapist yeah, or to a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just got me. I like to say that peer support is the special sauce for treatment, you know. That's awesome. So it gave me hope. I'm like, I want to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. So for the first time, I felt like there's something I could do. And I asked them, do you guys have felonies? Or how did you get into the field? And I want to do that. And and that just really kind of sparked something in me that that's what I want to do. Yeah. I don't want to use my story and just be like, go work at McDonald's or Produce. Like, I want to use my story for something good. Yeah. And I just felt that that I was safe for that, you know? So, yeah. Um, and yeah, and just things started falling into place. As soon as I got done with the rehab, 
I got the opportunity to get peer support certified working in the field and, and things just started falling into place. Um, there's some times where I'm humble and don't like to say, but in the community, I'm, I'm pretty known there and I do a lot of outreach. I've done a lot of good things in my community, making amends in the community, taking things, um, making amends, with, um, giving back whatever I took from my community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I started doing a lot of outreach, going to probation, to the courts. Because I thought I wasn't going to go back to Nogales. And yeah. God had other plans for me. He says, oh, yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. go back there and, and try to help others, you know. And that's what I've been doing. Um, just things have been falling into place where a judge reached out to me. And he offered me this opportunity to work for the county. So That's I got great. a few felonies. When when would I think that I would have a... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you really think about it, what better of a person to be in your position? Somebody who's experienced the lows and understands what mm-hmm. those people are dealing with when you... I mean, because you don't want to deal with some jerk who just doesn't understand, doesn't know what it's like, you know? Yeah. And then you're just another number to him, you know? Right. So you have that sympathy and that empathy. That's just what we were talking about in the last mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. And love too, you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I really love my job. I like what I do. I like to see people, you know, because I think we we as peers, people in recovery, we have a power if we choose our words wise, um, wisely, you know, we mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. we can lift people up, you know, we're just with a few words, get them from the gutter and, absolutely. and then seeing them change and getting them back to their families and working and seeing their glow and them smile and all that just brings it. it, The meaning of it is better than a paycheck. You know, that's what, and then there's the other side of it that there's a lot of people that have seen passed away and die. And, and and that also touches where I was like, I'm grateful that I'm alive today, that I'm sober today. Yeah. You know, that could be me too. And, and, and this, especially now with this drug, this is a life and death matter. And, and, yeah. So there's there's two sides to it, you know, and and I have dreams now. I have goals. I always like to say that peer support is the main thing, and and and, and identify myself of a peer support, but I also have some um, some college and getting some education as well too. That's great, man. And I would like to one day open like a, my own rehab or something like that in Nogales. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I'm working towards it. Good with my family, with my kids. So right now, life is good. I enjoy it. Food tastes better, as you can see. (laughs) I ate the old me. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. (laughs) I ate the old me. I'm two times the person I used to be. It's all right, brother. It's all right, man. (laughs) We we were talking about that, and I'm interested to know what you do for yourself, because like you said, there is that other side in this type of field. We deal with a lot from the employees. We deal with a lot of depression, Mm -hmm. suicides, um, you know, employees that are you know in recovery and then the next thing you know you find out that they've relapsed or back into that cycle again what do you do for yourself as an employee to keep you positive and to keep you able to continue to help other people when it gets rough yeah so i try to have a balance of work family recovery and leisure time okay but um sometimes there's more work than everything. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Or sometimes there's more family. So I try to balance them out. But leisure time for me, it's like I have um, hobbies now that I lost due to my addiction, like riding quads. I have a side-by-side. Oh, that's cool. I like to be out in the mountains. And and that just helps me a lot to my recovery. So I have a sponsor. I go to 12-step meetings. I go to church. That's um, good. And with my family, I, I like to spend time with my family. I'm a family person now. I just organized a family um, reunion 
couple of weeks ago that I organized myself too, and yeah. it was pretty cool having all the family together. That's cool, man. And and what worked too. So I try to balance all that out, you know. But um, I don't sing Victor. I don't say, oh, I'm good. I don't need to go to meetings. I don't need to. Tr- I know it all, you know. I know. So something that I found and helps me in recovery that it's not like a place that I'll get there. Okay, I'm here. I'm in recovery. I'm I'm good. I'm set. You yeah. know, it's just a journey, and I'm enjoying the journey. As I go along, I identify things that oh, you need to work on this shit, Martin, or you need to work on this, you know. Or, yeah. mm-hmm. And and so I'm just enjoying the journey as it goes with ups, downs, and even the worst days, you know, I've already been through so much that I'm like, man, you're sober. Give yourself a pat in the back. There you go, man. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that perspective, too, because I think that for someone that's out there right now that could be still struggling with their addiction to hear you say like you're you know loving your journey after addiction like mm-hmm. it's it's something to look forward to and something you get to once you get clean and you're you're sober and you're there you can start to like truly live your life and get to do things and remember it and cherish it and build those yeah. those memories mm-hmm. like traveling too i remember i couldn't travel because i, I had to prepare and it was so much of a hassle that I had to take enough dope if it was going to be seven days. That's crazy. I'm like, you have to take this. And and, and so I hated traveling. <laughs> Jeez, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but now I like to travel, you know, so prepare and plan to travel. So I've, I've been to a few places in, in Mexico, get to know about the culture. And all that helps me with my recovery, too, against my sponsor, meetings, church. That's great. I like the mountains. Yeah, all that stuff that I was telling you. So I, I can't give what I don't have, right? So yeah. I got to be well. If I'm not well, then my loved ones aren't well either. So. That's awesome. I had I had another question for you that I wanted to ask. You know, at one point, like you said, you know, the heroin, the, the methamphetamine, the things that you were addicted to, right? How do you see differences now in society working where you work, especially now that fentanyl has become such mm-hmm. a huge epidemic because i mean i've heard people that used heroin at one point say that it was a completely different beast yeah when they started messing with the fentanyl so it has it changed a little bit with your perspective like i mean how bad is nogales right now so i remember in 2015 i got clean and fentanyl was was out there but people weren't really using it and I've seen it's just a whole different monster. And people I, that I was using heroin with that went to fentanyl, I could see that it's it's different. I don't consider it like heroin, like that same opiate effect as, yeah. as it does. It's just different. And the thing that this one is, people are dropping like flies. You know, it's mm-hmm. killing a lot of people. If heroin was killing, it almost took my life, you know. And I'm thankful that I never got to use it. Man. But it's sad. And what I'm seeing right now is that I struggle with the 18 to 25 the youth, you know, yeah. there's a lot of them that are in jail or and, and homeless like nothing. And they're okay mm-hmm. with being homeless, like no life skills, uh, no family support, yeah. um, that, like no desire to change either. It's hard to get them to buy in into treatment. You know what I mean? And, 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 it's, car- and it's hard. So sometimes I kind of got to just at least be like, all right, man, let me keep you alive for right now. Yeah. Let me help you till you want to make that decision to change. Here's some Narcan. Here's some resources where you could go get a shower and get some meal or Man. get the proper needs for, you know, like for for the daily things that they might need, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them just don't want to even. Prefer, pre- prefer the high. Yeah, they over. prefer the high. And I remember the circle that I was hanging out with using heroin. 
our conversations was like we always had the perfect plan to quit like I'm going to cut down and the withdrawal. So <laughs> we wanted to stop. A yeah. lot of us, you know, a lot of us wanted to stop. And it's just a whole different monster. It's cheaper. Yeah. It's a lot cheaper. And it's killing people. And right now, no gas. Well, that's, I think, like everywhere else here in Tucson. But um, it's 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 everywhere. And it's hitting our youth hard. So I'm Man. trying to go out to schools, you know, and do some some kind of prevention or encouraging the the school staff. So I do a lot of things in my in my community too, involving That's the good, judicial bro. system. I'm involved in the in a few other coalitions as well too, mm-hmm. and um, I've been encouraging the the superintendents from the school as well to to educate the kids with with um with what fentanyl is, you know, yeah. and hopefully it's a drug that they're not even willing to dabble. Got it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Well, and so it's, scared. It's so scary because you know I had a friend at the very beginning of COVID that lost his life to fentanyl because he was Mm. buying sleeping pills on the street and they released fentanyl and he didn't Mm. know. And it's like, that was someone who I don't really think that was ever his plan. Not that it ever is your plan, you know, to OD, but, but it's, it's just becoming, it's in everything. It's in everything. You just can't, you, and you, it's just, there's, it takes so little to have such an impact. And that's, scary like if you think about it like that is just a whole new ball game that's mm-hmm. just scary for people exactly yeah and um as a father i get scared yeah you know? mm-hmm. as a father i get scared i'm seeing kids that are 16 they started at 16 using fentanyl how old are your babies um 15 15 have they have they seen it in their yeah, schools they've heard of it and seen it already in their schools you know and jeez so i try to have those open conversations with them as well too are they pretty well receiving like of the transparency that you have with them like are they appreciative or are they like oh stop talking about it or are they they get kind of open? tired yeah. Yeah, they get kind of tired of me and they think oh because of what you work or because of this that's all you want. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm good or but there's been sometimes a conversation where hey dad we got this this friend or or my friend's father is going through this struggle or wow. so there's been times where she's been able to approach me what well, what can i do to help this friend so mm-hmm. that's when i feel like see those it's conversations getting through yeah cuz i think through. it's it's important for parents we just put some blogs out on the website about places you can see fentanyl and how to check your children's candy and things like that mm-hmm. but it's so important to have those conversations where children can feel like they can come to you. Like, okay, yeah, maybe I messed up. Like, I mean, my dad had this rule where if I was drinking and I had driven, no questions asked, he'd pick me up. He mm-hmm. wasn't going to, I wasn't going to get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't going to tell me I drank too much. And you know what? In college, I, I was 21. I was of age where I could drink. But if I drank, I never even risked driving because yeah. my dad made that option for me and I felt safe. I felt mm-hmm. like I could approach him and every time he showed up with Gatorade and Advil and he said, have that for the morning. <laughs> and you know what? It wasn't that many times that I asked mm-hmm. him to do that, but because I could, you feel safer and it's yeah. really safer than me trying to get behind the wheel. And so if like, not that I'm encouraging people to go out and drink because that's not what I mean by that, but having those conversations and that trust with your children where they can come to you like, hey, my, my friend is drinking and driving. Like, what can we do to help them? Or, hey, they're starting to smoke marijuana and I'm nervous, you know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Just that where they know you're not going to 
This real yell issues. at them. It's it's real. It's like and what they say: if you have a fire in your house, run through like how to tell your kids where we're all going to meet at, and you mm-hmm. know this is your, this is how you pop your window out. You know, the, little things like that. It's not necessarily because you think they're going to become drug addicts or anything, but you want them to be responsible and safe. Because I really do think, as a parent, one of the things that's different between you know for the way that a kid thinks might be the fact that they were never educated. Maybe their parents mm-hmm. just thought, "Hey, we'll sweep this under the rug. Yeah. I'll never have to worry about." him or her doing this or smoking this or any of that you know and, and then our culture down in Nogales it happens a lot too like we don't what happens inside the house and this four walls it, it stays here you know yeah mm-hmm. so it's something that, that that as an advocate I try to break and when I'm talking to family members they'll be like hey because it's a small community you know yeah so they want to get help for their loved ones but they're so concerned that I might go tell someone in my family or go tell someone and so there it just comes where it's almost like Really, you're worried about it's pride. <laughs> yeah, you're worried about that right now, but and that's keeping you from getting mm-hmm. out for your loved one. You know what I mean? But yeah, so what I'm seeing is people starting with fentanyl. You know, I'm like, what starting other starting with fentanyl? Yeah, like what other drugs have you done? And how are the kids? For anyone who's uneducated, are they ingesting it the way that you know you see it with the straw and the foil? How are they taking these drugs? Oh, I've um, seen it in like rainbow pills. So right now, that's the thing that's coming. We just had an education, like the customs were saying, it's coming out in rainbow pills now. Just lately, the most common one was the the blues, the M30s, right? Yeah. Some of them were were you, while you could drink it, you could um, snort it. You can drink it too. I didn't know yeah. that. Um, but the main thing was that where they were putting it on for you know, smoking it and what's called like chasing the dragon. Yeah, that's how I actually started doing the heroin too because I was like, oh, I don't have to use an IV. There's a way to use it without having to do it um, wow. shooting up. But, yeah, so um, the main thing that people are doing is with foil smoking. Actually, right now, before getting here, I had to stop at QT because I had to use the restroom. And I go inside the restroom, too, and it was busy till I went to the stall. And there's this guy with a foil and the, and the straw in his, mouth, in, in his mouth, and he's dosed off. So I check on him, and you're good. And he woke up, and I was scared. I'm like chasing that dragon. So I was just like, it's everywhere. I just used to, it's crazy. I, I went to stop at a gas station, used the bathroom, and that's what I saw. Just like right now, when I was coming here, it's and it was, crazy. and that's that's you see it everywhere. You, you see at bus stops, you see kids like people dozing off, you know, coming down, and it's just nuts, man. That's absolutely nuts. And then they were talking about. I remember hearing car fentanyl was coming out, and that was yeah. like even worse. And now they say that there's even stuff on the East Coast that's even worse than the car fentanyl is that's coming over. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to see that, and I think it's just getting worse as it goes. I'm that's why. I, that's what I was telling right now that I'm grateful that I'm sober. And when I first started into recovering, going into like the mute, um, working in the field as well and going to, to events, I remember I used to get mad because um, they were bringing a lot of funding to help people with opiates and people with fentanyl. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Rehabs were opening, you know, detox, mat services. And I remember when I was trying to get help for opiates, I would go to behavioral health agencies and they're all like, they'll make it seem like, I even felt judged when asking for help and doing my intake. All the opiates, heroin, and and these were behavioral health agencies, you know. And the, and I heard about mat services, and there were I think one mat service in Yuma, and I had to go to Yuma to go get mat services. Wow! And then the governor, I guess they did like a state of emergency, right, for opiates, and they started bringing all this funding for opiates, and they started cutting down and breaking down on the on the opiate um, 
prescription drugs yep. on, on all that. And I remember going to a collision and they were bringing a lot of money in and I was getting kind of frustrated. I'm like, not that there's money involved. You want to help the the opiate people, right? Yeah. I remember when I was asking for help, there was really, so I had to go through that phase, you know, I had to go through that phase and be like, thankfully there's, they're doing something about yeah. it too, you know, but um, yeah, I, I just wanted to share that because I remember no, thank you. that. Thank yeah, you, well, man. And it makes sense too, because I mean, I think that's one of the things that we talk about a lot about the arc, and I know Vance talks about it with clients, but like we meet you where you're at when you're here. You shouldn't when you're when you're ready for help, you should not feel judged, even for a second. You should be yeah. welcomed, you should be encouraged that this is the choice and the step that you're making. And that's mm-hmm. something that we're so proactive for as a team. And I can tell you're proactive in what you do to make sure that the people that are struggling with this addiction, because it's a disease. It's not just always, you know, self-inflicted. It's exactly. it's something that somebody is struggling with, and it's a true evil. Mm-hmm. And we need to be loving. We need to come from a place of, you know, support and give our hearts to these people instead of having them feel the way you felt. That's- exactly. Mm-hmm. And and I'm kind of grateful now that we have we have that, you know, because I felt that there's been a lot of trainings, a lot of things with empathy, peer support are getting known. They're, we're getting second chances now to work in the field and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm, 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 I'm glad to see the turnaround, something that I didn't experience when I was trying to seek help. Because I've been to residential treatment um, seven times. I've been wow. to detox. I think I lost count, but it's been more than 10 times that I try to. And um, not all the times, but a lot of the times I, I felt I, I felt kind of judged. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, and I've seen the behavioral health field kind of change. The rehabs, for example, this one, it's a great facility. The facilities I've been, there weren't. Yeah. Nothing compared to these ones, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So something that I, when people go and talk about the rehabs or stuff like that, they're like, oh, I notice when they focus on the on the, on the the facility, I like this, we have this facility with, I'll just use this as an example, you know, yeah. it used to be a hotel, nice facility, we have a pool, we have a, a gym, and we have the, I'm like, no, but what kind of program, what is your success story, you know? Yeah. What kind of model do you guys use, and mm-hmm. You guys have peer support therapists, counselor, like focus on that, you know. That's but I get crazy. sometimes to get us to buy in into treatment, you know, if, if it's if I'm comfortable, because I've been to some treatment places where it kind of sucks, you know, and I'm nothing comfortable and it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's bad. Or I was like, I wish I had the opportunity, something yeah. like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have made a difference, but yeah, I mean, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? You yeah. show up and you realize it's not. Not all glitters is gold, you know what I mean? Because yeah. mm-hmm. if, if I'm going to go detox, even if I'm on a $10,000 bed or at a $10 bed or yeah. in, the, in, the, in the, I mean, at jail, you know, the detox is going to be the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm still going to go through the same detox. It's, it's not going to make any difference if I'm <laughs> on a, in a nice facility or stuff like that. I used to. Oh, yeah. You're not going to remember the nice bed. You know, you're going to remember the symptoms and mm-hmm. what you went through and the behaviors and all that. But, yeah, it's just. Well, thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Thank you so much for coming, brother. I really, We really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. You know, I don't know if I touch on everything that you guys wanted oh, to. Oh, dude. I, just, I didn't come prepared or plan. I, I no. just. 
you when I talked to you, said it was going to be an open conversation. I like open conversations. Yes, sir. You guys made it comfortable and warming, and thank you for that. Thank you, bro. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, give it up to our new friend, Martin. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, dude, it's, it's uh, everyone's perspective is just so amazing, and, and thank you. And, you know, I just hope you know how proud of you that we are, you know, being able to see, you know, just talking about how the devil's job is to separate, separating families, uh, you know, separating kids from their from their fathers and all of these horrible things that happen. It's amazing to see how when you heard that voice, when you listen to God talking to you, man, he restored your life. And, and it's very obvious in the way that you talk and who you are today. So thank you so much, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. You. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the RCAST. We hope you guys are doing fantastic out there. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Make sure you stay tuned for the commercial after this. Much love. God bless you guys. Peace. What's going on, everybody? This is Buddha from the RCast, and I just wanted to thank you for checking out this week's episode. It means a lot, and if you could share it with a friend or a loved one, somebody you need in recovery, or maybe somebody who just needs that little bit of extra positivity in their life, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you would like to join us here on the RCast, either in the studio live or online, hit us up. The links are down in the show notes of this episode, and on there, you can find direct links to our main website here at America's Rehab Campus and all of our social media platforms. Follow us. We keep the posts positive and motivational, focused on recovery, health, and wellness. As you know, in this modern day and age, we need as much love as possible, y'all. And as always, if you or somebody you know is in need of substance abuse treatment, please don't hesitate to give us a call. We're open 24 hours a day, and our direct phone number is 1-833-272-7342. Once again, that phone number is 1-833-272-7342. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. Much love, and God bless. Peace.